Welcome to God's Messenger Lighthouse Podcast. This is your host, Brother Scott Messenger, bringing you Chapter 10 from If I Perish by Esther on Kim. Chapter 10, Seeing They Do Not Perceive. It was easy to see why Mother felt God had been preparing me to go to Tokyo to deliver his warning. My father had insisted that I be educated in Japan and had sent me there to college when I was 18. I had become as fluent in their language as I was in my native Korean, and I I had great respect for my Japanese friends and teachers. I had learned to love the Japanese and was loved by them in return. Actually, during my years in Japan, I had thought of myself as being Japanese, The only thing that bothered me was their idol worship, and I tried to discover a way to teach them to know the true God. After I had graduated and gone back home to Korea, I had returned to Japan whenever I had a chance. Within my heart, however, I knew this nation would surely perish, and that the people would be destroyed by fire from heaven unless they are turned away from idolatry, and worship the living God with all their hearts. God had a purpose in having me love Japan. I knew he would help me to help tell them what I had longed to say. Elder Park was opposed to my fasting. Doesn't God say we should eat a lot and get busy, he asked. Why are you always sick? When I asked him, about getting a passport the next day, he said that we didn't need one. We were ambassadors of God, sent to give a great warning to Japan, he declared, so we would not need a tiny piece of paper from the Japanese. Without a passport, I told him, I can't go with you. The Bible tells us to keep the laws of the land. For the first time, I saw him flustered. I can't go to the Police department, he said. If I go, I'll be jailed. I could understand why he felt as he did. Besides, he was right. They would never give him a passport. Still, I could not go with him unless he did. He meditated for a long while before speaking. Let me leave first, he said. When I reach Seoul, I'll go to the deputy general. We decided to meet at the seal station after three days. He did have a problem, however, for his clothing was too shabby for the trip. When I volunteered to buy him a new suit, he asked me to get him a tuxedo. He left for the capital city, carrying the new suit in a box under his arm. As for me, I would have an opportunity to wear the clothes my mother and sister had already prepared for my wedding. I picked out the most expensive clothing, and put it into my suitcase. Then I filled my large leather purse with money and was ready to go. In spite of my recent problems with the police, I had no difficulty in obtaining a new passport. I had many, or made, I had made many trips to Japan. Another presented no difficulties. This, I felt, was my last farewell. I rejoiced as I thought that Jesus was not very far from me. When I returned home, several uh, fellow believers were waiting for me. When night came, 
Others drifted over until the house was filled with people. At Reverend Che's suggestion, I read Ezekiel 2 and a verse from the book of Esther. Esther 4.16 Esther 4.16 Go gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan and fast ye for me and neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise, and so will I go in unto the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. I repeated the final phrase once again, if I perish, I perish. Those who were gathered at our home repeated it after me, their faces shining with firm resolution. They too were looking forward to death. Some were unable to pray aloud because of tears, but their hearts were as one with my heart, and they all prayed in their hearts for me. Above everyone else, my mother was content and beautiful and filled with the Holy Spirit. What a wonderful woman she was! The railway station was crowded since a special express train was leaving for the south. Most of the passengers were Japanese, accompanied by their families. Usually, I bought a round-trip ticket so I would not have to worry about getting another to return. This time I did not bother. I was certain my life would end in Tokyo. Believers had come to the station by various routes and at different times to avoid attracting attention, and when I went out on the platform, I could see them raising their hands to give me the sigh, sign of faith. I raised my hand in return. Then I bowed my head to my Christian brothers and sisters as the train arrived. Lord, let me die like your servant, I prayed. When the train stopped at Seoul, Elder Park got on. He could not get a passport, he explained. I gave him the second-class ticket I had bought for him. We don't need those, he said, ignoring the ticket to Tokyo. It was obvious that he was having difficulty in restraining his laughter. I mean, I don't need such a thing made by men since God is my refuge. I wished I were half as confident as he so that I could do my job without difficulty. Will you please try to understand what I'm saying to you? I persisted. I'm worried because you don't have a passport. I asked him to sit in another place in the coach so I would not be involved if he were arrested. You're expecting the worst, he said, grinning. You're thinking of when we're found. You want me to go to the corner? I'll go. I'll go. The special express train was nearing... Pusan, when four harbor policemen entered the coach. Two checked the tickets from my end, while the other two started from the other end, not far from where Elder Park was sitting. Passports would be checked here for passengers going to Japan. I was passed without difficulty, but I was not concerned about myself. I looked back timidly to see what was happening with Elder Park. I could scarcely believe it. 
The two policemen had already passed him. He was smiling broadly, his chin held high. I couldn't understand it. Couldn't those policemen see that he didn't have a passport? They couldn't have made a mistake. Tokyo tickets were a different color, and he was the only passenger in the car who was dressed in the traditional Korean manner. Not only that, he was dressed so shabbily that his clothes shouted his presence. Seeing that I was looking at him, he stood to come toward me, leaning on his cane. When he got close, he pushed two of the policemen aside and walked past the other two. One of the officers made a path for him without turning to look. They couldn't see me, he explained, laughing. They all became blind. The Lord is my refuge. I felt nervous to hear him talk so loudly, fearing the police would hear him. When I put my finger to my lips to warn him to be silent, he stared reproachfully at me, twisting his fingers in his beard. How unbelieving you are, he said. Don't you want to believe? He turned as though he was were disturbed with me and went back to his own seat, again pushing the policeman out of his way. This time I was sure he would be discovered, but he moved as easily along the aisle as though there had been no officer in the coach and reached his own seat safely. When we arrived at Prusan, I asked Elder Park to stay with my suitcase in an obscure corner while I exchanged my Korean money for Japanese yen. It took longer than I expected, and when I hurried back to the place where I left my friend, he was not there. For an instant, fear seized me. I was sure the harbor policeman must have discovered him and had taken him away. Unable to find a porter to help me, I dragged my suitcase across the pier. Only then did I see Elder Park. He was changing into his tuxedo, and a policeman was helping him. I went even closer. When he saw me, he called out loudly in Korean, Look, this policeman is kindly helping me. You see, I must clothe myself like God's ambassador. The policeman did not seem to have understood what the old man said. He was still smiling at Elder Park as Elder Park kicked his tattered Korean clothes off the pier and into the sea. I don't need such clothes any longer, he said. The ferry whistle signaled that the time to board had arrived. Elder Park walked ahead of me to the gangplank. You'll want to see this, he told me, going confidently aboard. Policemen were at the far end of the gangway, one on each side, but they let Elder Park pass without a question. I couldn't believe it, but he was, on, was aboard. That I knew. I was so stunned that I could not find my own ticket and passport when I was asked to show them. Nervously, I went through my handbag and then my suitcase, but I could not locate them. Elder Park called out to me in Korean, What's taking you so long? The boat is leaving. I must admit that I was furious at him. Why did he have to be so slow-witted? He was already aboard. He should have waited quietly. Then, of all things, he came down the gangplank to join me. Why are you keeping her here so long? He asked the policeman. She can't find her passport. Here, Elder Park said. I'll look for it for you. He snatched my purse from me 
and in a moment or two he was able to find it. When I finally got on board, I looked for Elder Park, but couldn't find him. One of the policemen noticed my nervousness and came over to me. You must be looking for your father, he said. I was so disturbed I couldn't answer him immediately. When I could speak, I tried to tell him not to bother, but he was already on his way. I was sure something terrible would happen this time, but in a few moments Elder Park and the officer approached me. When you roam around so much, the policeman told Elder Park, your daughter feels nervous. You must stay close to her. It wasn't long until he came back with some tea for me. I recalled how the Apostle Peter thought he was dreaming after an angel had released him from prison. I am sure I knew exactly how he felt. Elder Park looked very happy. Jehovah is my refuge, he said. The ship had already left port, and Prusan Harbor was shrinking in size as we plodded across the narrow stretch of sea. Not by chance had we been able to pass the Prusan Harbor police. It was like escaping the gates of hell. Jehovah was alive and working within us. Joy and thanks filled my heart as I went out to the second-class veranda. Dark clouds were moving fiercely across the vast sky, driven by strong winds and swollen with wet rain and snow. The ominous clouds stretched from horizon to horizon. Were they telling me that my way would be stormy and difficult? The sea was an earthly reflection of the raging sky. Around me I could see nothing calm, nothing peaceful, nothing beautiful. The strong stormy winds of the future were so threatening that it seemed almost impossible for me to see God's face. My heart, as dark as the clouds, felt as if it were sinking to icy depths. I lay down on the floor, miserable in my anxiety. Jesus, I called the name of the Lord and wept loudly. My heart was burdened heavily, but I had no words to pray. Raindrops as large as soybeans pelted down upon me, and the sound of the driving rain against the deck was like the sound of ten thousand carpenters noisily driving as the as many nails into the planking. The full force of the winter storm had hit the ferry, and we were lunging savagely into every um, breaker. I got to my feet and lurched toward the dry warmth of the cabin. My heart searched for the hands of God. Next time, chapter 11, A Miracle and an Old Man.